is um, I am going to do this differently. I'm not going to do a lecture style. Instead, this is going to be more of a teaching format. I am a teacher at heart. I love to teach. Um, so I really am expecting you to give me feedback. So when I ask a question, I really want you to give me an answer. So you can just shout them out. Plus, um, what, I'm, what the format that I'm going to be doing, like I said, it's in a classroom. Um, I'm going to walk you guys through how I study the passages of the Bible. Whenever I um, want to figure out what is somebody talking about when I hear a pastor or a teacher teach, and something kind of strikes me as, huh, that's interesting. I want to, what else is it saying? Or I might have heard something and go, hmm, I'm not sure that that's really what it says. Or I just have read a passage in my quiet time um, on my own, and something kind of jumps out, and I think, well, what is the author intending there? So I want to walk you guys through on a very simplified way that I do it, because there's so much more. This really um, is a course that I, um, Ms. Ronsleben and I both have taught. Um, it's about a six-week class that we have done. And, but anyway, I'm going to try to do this in 30 minutes, right? Anyway. You need a physical Bible. I want you, if you don't have one, I've pulled some out of the lost and found. Maybe one of those is yours. Um, but if you don't have a physical Bible, I really want you. You can't really do this well with an app. You just can't do it well with an app. So at least if there's a couple of physical Bibles at your tables. Um, and if you like it and you don't know whose that is, I guess you can call it. Anyway. Okay, so as he said, I'm Rebecca Cagle. I've been out here at the Outback, actually, with the seniors since they were sixth graders. So I've been out here for a long time with these kiddos. Love you guys. Y'all are a blast. Um, so I've already told you why we're doing it this way. Um, so what I want to do first is we need to look at your uh, paper that you have there in front of you. And you can see the passage is already broken down for you. And at the very, very top, you'll see I've got key verse. We need to go back before we look at what this particular passage says. We need to look, is there an overarching, is there a key verse that we can look at that will help us understand and interpret and apply correctly what Philippians 4 through 13, chapter 4, 10 through 13 says? Because this is very, very important. This is where you will tend to pull things out of context if you don't. So, I'm doing the back work for you. And actually, one of the key verses is 1, chapter 1, verse 27. So let's look at that. I've got that up there in a PowerPoint. You write that up there at the top of your paper. You've got pens out there for you. So yes, I'm, uh, this is like, you're in a classroom. Welcome to my classroom. Write it out, folks. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's our key verse. That's what's going to kind of guide us through. Um, multiple writers, multiple trustworthy authors and pastors have all agreed that this is one of the big overarching themes that Paul has. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. So then we ask our passage here, this verse, why? Why does that matter? Well, if you have your Bible open, you would just go right up to verse 11. And if you look right up above it at verse 11, you'll see Paul answers that why. Why do we want to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? So that we may be filled with the fruit of righteousness 
that comes through Jesus Christ, here it is, to the glory and praise of God. So we want to live, we want to walk in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, but yet that it glorifies God. There's our, there's our theme, there's our, our foundation, so that we can now go forward and test what we read in Philippians 4, 10 through 13. So on the paper there, you see how I have broken this particular passage down. Um, this is just how I like to do it. I like to break it by phrases. It helps me to see it so I can see the so that. I can ask questions of the passage. I like to space it out so I have room to write on it, scribble on it. It's going to be a mess when we're done. And here's the funny thing. I don't know how many of you um, despised diagramming sentences as sophomores in English, right? Anybody love doing that stuff? Hated it, right? Okay, you're gonna, this is going to come in handy. Who knew that diagramming sentences actually comes in handy in studying the Bible? It does. All right, so we're on the very back of your page, I have written down what we're going to look for. This is just so you can take it with you later. We're going to be looking for repeated words, repeated terms, repeated phrases. We're going to look for contrasts. We're going to look for, at the verbs, references to previous verses within the passage, which we've just started. We're going to look at things that go from general to very specific. We're going to look for cause-effect. We're even going to look at synonyms and antonyms. And that is not an exhaustive list. This is, again, a very simplified list. I like to always use a different color pen. As I use it, I'd ask for blues. If you have blue, that's great. If you're not, you know, if that doesn't bother you, so what? It's okay. But that's just my preference is to use a different color pen just to help me. So let's read through this verse together. You follow along with me on your paper. Not going to have it up on the PowerPoint, and we will get from there. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, but now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All right. Within this particular passage, there is a very famous verse that we have all seen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Familiar with it? Uh-huh. Okay. This is probably the biggest example of it I have ever seen. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Um, where else have you guys seen it? Where else have you seen this passage all by itself written out. Where? On, on what? Oh, on a letterman. I thought you meant like David Letterman. <laughs> yeah, on a letterman. Okay, what else? Coffee mugs, thank you. Okay, Instagram. On what? I still didn't hear you. On a bookmarker. Okay, yes. Where else? Hot, lots of them at Hobby Lobby, yes. Pillows, plaques, T-shirts. You see that a lot on T-shirts. Hats, right? We've seen it everywhere. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, when you hear it like that, what comes to mind? Tell me. What comes to mind? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You, yes, you can do it all. What else? 
I, I, you got to be real loud. I'm useless without you. Well, you are. Anything else? Hmm? Am I breathing into it? Uh, okay. Okay. I can, I can put things off. I can, I, I can delay because I can do all things through Christ. Hey, that's why it's on the front of a notebook, right? Oh, I can wait till the night before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in the famous words of Inigo Montoya from Princess Bride, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Okay. So we're going to find out. Let's pray before we dig into this. Lord, I am grateful to be able to do this. Let me be your speaker, your mouthpiece today. And I ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our ears to hear what you have to say. Help us to know. Holy Spirit, guide us and lead us so that we can learn new things about who you are and how wonderful you are and what we can do through you. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. So let's start digging. Here's what I'm going to do. Let's start all the way over here with I rejoiced. Now, again, I'm not going to do it with every single word. Sometimes it's beneficial, sometimes it's not. We just don't have the time to. But if I was doing this on my own, I would probably define, make synonyms, antonyms of nearly every word. But we just don't have time to do that today. But let's start with the I. Who's the I? Paul. Okay, so up above it, I would write Paul so that I remember who this is talking about. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Okay? Greatly. What do you think of when you hear the word greatly? A lot. What else? Anything else? Y'all have to be, it's really weird, but I can't hear y'all very well up here. I know. I am older, but still. You got to be loud. Okay, so I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length, what is he talking about there with at length? What's, some, what's a synonym that we could throw in there? Instance, time. This instant. Time. Okay? You. Who's the you? Who, who is he right? Who is this all to? The Philippian church. Okay? The Philippian church. You have revived. What is revived? A synonym for that. Come on, folks. Brought back. Okay, thanks. Brought back your concern. What do you think about with concern? Opposite would be troubles, maybe? Trouble. What else? Care. Yeah, that's the word I kind of thought of too, care. All right? You, uh, revi- you have revived your concern for me. We already know that the me is Paul. Now, one of the things that I have liked, I like to do at times, over here in the corner of my paper, I'll write the word I, once I've seen it once or twice, I, me, and I might make a tally mark 
to see how many times that word is repeated. It helps me just to see uh, the repetition. Who or what is this about? Because when the Bible repeats things, you've got to pay attention. There's, there's a reason for it. So as we go through, I'm not going to catch all of them. I'm not going to point out all of them, but you can certainly do that. All right. You were indeed concerned for me. Oh, there's concerned. Here's concerned. I would put that up here. Concerned. Indeed. What about that? Absolute. For sure. You were for sure. You were absolutely concerned for me. But, now here we have our first contrast. We're contrasting the concern, but you had no opportunity. We had no opportunity. We're going to contrast opportunity with concern. I like to put, so that I know that it's a contrast, I I just put CT on it. That's how I abbreviate it. You can do it however. But we've got a contrast going here. We're contrasting the concern that they had with no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking, not that I'm saying, that I am in need, being in need. Now, here he's saying, it's almost like he's going back to this and saying, oh, but not like I'm being, like I'm saying I'm in need. He's not talking about that it's pitiful or that he's begging. He clarifies that. You didn't have an opportunity, and I'm really glad that you guys have an opportunity to send me some money because I do need it, but what? not that I'm really in need because I have learned. I have learned. And look at the word learned. Let's look at that verb. What is, let's go with the opposite of learned. What? You've forgotten. Okay, you forget. Okay. I think of ignorant. You might even be stupid, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but you just, you just don't know. Notice, when you learn something, let's go with math, it is a process. It's a process that you go through. This is not a, I've, I've learned one plus one as a first grader, and now I can do calculus. No, it's a process. Okay? So I'm just going to write that down here, process. Learning is a process. I have learned in whatever situation I am, in whatever situation. What about situation? What's a synonym for that? Instance. In whatever situation I am to be content. What about content? It's a synonym for content. What? Satisfied. That was the word I thought of too. Satisfied. At peace. Okay. In whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know, there we've got a repeat there. You could put that up in the top corner. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. Let's look at these. Brought low. How could we redefine brought low? Humbled. Yes, very good. And what about abound? What? 
pride? Mm. Oh, arrive. Okay. Um, arrive. To have to have arrived. Thr- sorry. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you. It's a little bit bigger classroom than I'm used to. Thrive. Now I can't spell it. Good. Um, I thought of a um, plenty or, um, yeah, overabundance. I know how to abound. Okay, in any and every circumstance. That reminds me of situation up here, circumstance. It's almost like he's repeated this. Uh, In whatever situation, in any and every circumstance, as though you didn't get it the first time. In any circumstance. Oh, and by the way, in every circumstance. He's repeating that. In any and every circumstance. And I'm just going to put instance here again because they're, they're very similar. In any and every circumstance, I have learned, oh, there we go again. I have learned a process to a secret. That looks like an important word. Mark that a little bit more. I have learned the secret. The secret of what? Of facing plenty and hunger. Are those similar or are they opposite? They're opposites. So we could contrast those. Abundance and need. Again, another contrast. Of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now if I go back up to this contrast, because these two are also contrasts, brought low and abound. If you look at that, you've got brought low, that really could connect down here to hunger. Do you see that? We've gone from general, brought low, to very specific, to hunger. Then that also can go to need. Again, general to very specific. Paul's being specific here. Abound. Does he do the same here? Yes, he does. Goes to plenty. And then he goes again to abundance. General to specific. Do you guys see that? Yeah. And you wouldn't see that unless you were slowing down and taking it word for word. Breaking it apart. Now, when I read this particular section here, abound, uh, abound and um, the brought low, plenty, hunger, abundance, need, it made me think about, now you know, somewhere in the Bible, in the New Testament, there's a listing of somebody going through some circumstances that were pretty rough. Anybody have an idea? Paul. Paul actually. Now, pretend that you don't know where that is in the Bible, and this is a key thing to use. If you've ever wondered what all those words, that collection of words were in the back of your Bibles, and some of those that I pulled out don't have them, but you want a good study Bible, make sure your Bible has what's called the concordance in the back. So you can kind of think, all right, it might have, might have been Paul, it could have been Peter, it could have even been Jesus. But I think there was something about him being shipwrecked, maybe him being stoned, um, something like that. Well, then you look for those words. You look that up in the back. So if you have a concordance, everybody look it up in the back of your concordance. See if you have either shipwrecked or stoned. And see if you can find out where is something that might relate to this to help us understand it. In my particular concordance, I had to 
uh, use the word stoned, not like we think of stoned today, but, you know, with rocks stoned. Where? Not then. Not with Paul. Did you find it? Did you find anything that mentioned it? What you got? Excellent. So turn there. Second Corinthians eleven twenty three, and it's actually to twenty seven. Turn to Second Corinthians eleven twenty three to twenty seven. This was written by Paul. All right, so this is Paul talking about who's got that that could read it out loud. Wouldn't mind reading it. Anyone? Anyone? Thank you. Hmm. Do you think that kind of helps us understand this a little bit more? Here's the interesting thing that you would need to do. You would then go, hey, when did he write Corinthians? Since this is the same author, when did he write Corinthians, specifically 2 Corinthians? I already did that work for you. He wrote this six years before he wrote this. That should help you look at this way differently. It's not like he's just willy-nilly writing about, oh, I know how to do this. Uh, No, he really does. He really understands what the brought low hunger need is. Right there, 2 Corinthians. So over here, I would, after I researched it, six years previous. Just so I'd remember that. And we have this any and every circumstance. And what I want you guys to catch here is that this is any positive or any negative circumstance. Any positive, any big, any little. Now, in that list that he just read, those are some pretty big things. Not too many of us can say that we've been lost at sea for several days and stoned and left for dead and blah, blah, blah. We, we can't say that. But we've had, each of you have lived long enough. This life is tough. We've all had some negative things, but we have also had some really positive things, some very good highs, some great things that have happened in our life. So in any and every circumstance is what he's talking about. So now let's go down to this first, that great one. I can do all, all things. I can do all things through, and I'm just going to draw just so that I, just to go along with the word, through him. Who's the him? Who? Jesus, right. I can do all things through Jesus. Who strengthens? What about it strengthens? Empowers. That's what I thought of too. Empowers me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So then we have to ask ourselves, what is this all referring to? Well, we're going back up here to the secret. It's referring, that all is referring to the secret. And we would say then, well, what is he talking about with that all? And I would look at that and I would ask some more questions. I would go back to our key verse and I would say, okay, I can do all things. I, I, I know that seek, there's a secret here. And that I can, um, that I want to walk in a life, walk, have a life that is worthy of the manner of Christ, so that Christ is magnified. 
I can do all things because I know the secret. The secret of what? Of facing every situation and being content. The secret is to face every situation and being content. Now, if I read this verse all by itself and apply it the good old American way, who is this verse about? Me. I can do all things. I can do it. I got this. I'm going to win. I'm going to pass that test. I, I can do it. But that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I can do all things, good, bad. I can face all situations and be content in whatever is going on and whatever happens. Do you see how important it is for us to look at the verse as a whole within the passage? Because otherwise, we're going to misapply this. That verse is not meant to be a rallying cry to win the game on Friday night. That's not what it's meant to be. You should instead be content whether you win or lose, and that God gets glorified in your winning and losing in any and every circumstance. All right. Now, we have broken down this passage, done some simple observation here. Um, We've also done a little bit of interpretation by looking at other passages, looking above it, looking in uh, other places within Scripture. If you had time, you would then go back to your repeated words, and you would use your concordance, and you would look throughout. Where else is the word concerned in there? Maybe where else is the word circumstance, situation? Is there anything else within Scripture that can help you interpret and then eventually apply this particular passage? That's what you would do if you had more time. You would also use commentaries. Commentaries are great to have if you don't know of any great ones. Dave, I know, could point you in the right way. Megan could. I've got a few that um, I could point you to. You want to make sure you get good ones. Your study Bibles, if you have one that has notes at the bottom, many of those are very good to give you some extra extra uh, ideas and understanding of what the passage is saying. But one of the others that I like to do is I like to reference to pastors, speakers, writers that have talked about this particular passage. And there are two that I'm going to give you the information about today. Again, I've done some of the legwork for you because of time. Two of them are from the 16th century. They're dead. So, you know, of course, if they're dead, they're good writers, right? 1600s is the Puritans, from the time of the Puritans. And it's Richard Burroughs and Thomas Watson. Both of them wrote and preached on this very passage. And they agree with what I feel like we have found. This whole passage is really about contentment. Contentment in Christ so that God's glorified. Not about me. This passage is about contentment in Christ so that he's glorified, not me. So, what we like to know is what's the simple steps? What's the one, two, three? What do I do to go from here to here to here so that I'm content? We like that simple, logical steps. But Burroughs says there is no simple steps. Instead, it's a process. Remember the learned? It's a process. He even says, I love how he calls it, he says it's more of an art. To learn contentment in God is more of an art. You have to work at it. 
You have to go through experiences, whether they're positive or negative experiences. And he also says it's a mystery because you can't quite explain it in a simple one, two, three way. It's a mystery, just like faith. I can tell you what faith is, but I can't quite put it in a box and simplify it too much for you. There's mystery to it. So contentment in God is a mystery as well as an art. And it's not, this is where we as Americans, I think, get all confused about it. We tend to think that this is, we have to have a stoic attitude. Just suck it up, go. Or I can do it, I'll get this. Or put your hands in your pocket and just keep going or put your head in the sand and ignore it. That's not what Paul's talking about here at all. So it's not a stoicism. It's a process. One of the things that he points out that would be helpful to us is to know our God. For us to know who he is, what he's capable of doing, that would help us in gaining contentment. What can he do? He can do immeasurably more than all we think or ask. More than you and I can imagine he can do it. Well, that ought to help us with some contentment. But I can find greater contentment in knowing who my God is because I'm going to study more. I'm going to dig into his word more. We also need to know our own hearts. Burroughs says it's very important for us to know our own hearts. When we face a negative, typically a negative situation... Um, what happens? What happens in our heart? How am I reacting? Why? And we need to ask ourselves, why am I reacting this way? Because then it exposes the problem that I have that that shows where I'm discontent when I'm in those situations. Then Thomas Watson, beautifully, and on the back of your page, I've got some blanks for you to write these in. Thomas Watson lists out some ways that show up as discontentment. What does discontentment look in a discontented person? The first one is prideful. A discontented person is prideful. They see themselves as better than others, and they find fault with God's wisdom in any and all situations. He, He can't do it, and instead they find contentment in their own strength and end up making themselves God. And I say, themselves, I do the same. Making myself God. I can do all things. You can just hear it right there. I can. I'm the God with the little G. The second one is envious and jealous. A discontented person is envious and jealous. They are envious and jealous of what others have and not content with the blessings that they have. I don't have enough. She got, he got, he has, he can do this, she can do this, I can't, and then we're discontent with the blessings that God has given us, which leads us to distrust. When we distrust God, we, can't, we think that he can't provide or help us. He doesn't care. All of a sudden, we're letting our emotions rule. It becomes an echo of unbelief. The fourth one is unthankfulness. Almost goes back with that jealousy and envious. We don't have all that we desire, and so we don't pay any mind to what we do have. Think about the Israelites. They, when they were in slavery, 
they went through the most miraculous situation ever when God took them out with an incredibly mighty hand out of Egypt with those ten plagues. And not one of them was hurt. And then they walked through a sea on dry ground. Then they got to watch the Egyptians, the Egyptian army, who was the mega power of the nations at the time, watch them drown right before them. You wanted proof that they were dead? Well, look, there's one of the guys washing up on the shore right at your feet. They've got to see all of that. And then just within a few days when they're in the wilderness, what did you bring us out here for? To kill us? We were better off in Egypt. At least we had cucumbers. They said that because they were unthankful. They distrusted him. They forgot, and they were demanding that God continue to show his faithfulness, even though he had just done all of that. And that's what we do when we're unthankful. The last one is a complainer. A complainer complains at God rather than to. Think about David and Job. They were very good in teaching us how to complain to God. Oh, God, are you not faithful? Do you you not hear me? Oh, God, please. There's a pleading. There's a question mark at the end of their statement as opposed to the Israelites. Oh, God, are you not faithful? You don't care about us. You just brought us out here to die. What is this? So there's a difference between complaining to God and complaining at God. So we've picked apart our passage. We've looked at the context We've looked at what other writers have said about this particular passage. And I hope that you now see that Philippians 4.13 is not a rallying cry for your success and my success. That's not what it's about. Instead, it's a plea for us to be content in any and every circumstance that God has put us in. And if we had time, we're all in something right now. We're all going through something, an up or a down And we want to live a life that is worthy of the manner of the gospel so that Christ is glorified. Remember, this is learned. You're not going to get this. I don't get it. And I'm a lot older than you. I'm still learning how to be content because it is an art. It's a mystery. I don't get it. And I succeed and then I fail. But I don't want you to only think about the negative situations because that's what we tend to think of, the hard It's also in the positive, too. It's in the big things, and it's in the little. Like, you got a flat tire on the way to school. Or you forgot to study for a test. Oh, shoot. And you're going to suffer the consequences for it. Or a family member's died. From little to big. Whatever situation God has put you in. Whatever, any and all. So I have put on your paper there for discussion some questions that I want you to go through for further thinking about what I've talked about, what you see in the passage as you broke it down. And then there's a few questions, again, not an exhaustive list, of how you would then apply what you learned through this particular passage. So go ahead and have a discussion with your group.